Gee, that was good worship. I'm, I'm going to get some of those songs to take home. Um, I love that last one. I've been preaching on the cross for probably a couple of years and just talking about it and sharing ideas about it. And um, amazing. Uh, yes, that's true, Pastor. I have uh, written a book a year. I've been trying to do that in the last six years since I've retired. I have written some before that, but I really felt while I had extra time to commit to writing some of the key messages and things that I've been speaking on for probably 50 years and uh, really committing them. So um, I've got a few there. There's this one here, take someone with you. We'll talk a bit about that probably on Monday night. Uh, This is basically leadership for everyone. See, one of the problems we've got in the church is people orientate around one gift and they get stuck. Don't get orientated around a gift. Get orientated around the Holy Spirit and whatever he wants you to do, you'll do it. And uh, I've been surprised over the years as I've served God um, what gifts I've been able to move in and things I've been able to achieve that I didn't think I had. Um, but once I realized it's not me just having a gift, but I'm serving the great Holy Spirit who has all the gifts, and uh, it's tapping into the supernatural that really makes the difference. So that's that one. This one here, I think you might have seen this last year, God of Miracles. That's helped so many people. And it's all about how you can get a miracle. What if you don't get a miracle? Often in the Pentecostal world, that's not talked about enough. But not everyone gets a miracle, A, in the way they expect, or even in the time they expect. But we are to have faith in God no matter what happens. And so God of Miracles, that's a very helpful book. And yes, Pastor, that's my new book. And it's pretty thick. Um, It's on the church, Church Gate of Heaven, and you can get a hold of those there. Um, My last book is that thick as well. I'm starting to write thicker books. I think the older I'm getting, I'm learning some extra things, Pastor Alan. But um, I've written a book. It's actually at the printers now. I'm launching it when I go home in September. It's called Normal Christian. Because I just discovered there's so many abnormal Christians. And you say, what do you mean? Like weird? No, not weird. Non-biblical. And what's happened in our modern culture is we're starting to shift away from biblical kingdom language which is called the Bible. And so I coin a phrase in my new book. It's this, that a spiritual person is only concerned about two things. I mean, Christians are concerned about a lot of things. But actually, we should only be concerned about two things. What the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit reveals. And those two things are consistent. There is a third witness, of course, on the earth. And that is the blood, and we sang about it before. And that's what Paul said. He said, I won't boast in anything but the cross. He said, when he went to the Corinthians, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, our Catholic brothers and our traditional brothers, they focus on one side of the cross, which is the passion or the death of Christ. But I don't think Paul was just talking about that. I think Paul was talking about both sides of the cross. He was talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In other words, putting it another way, we are to preach and live in the accomplishments and the provisions of the cross. And that's what we're called to do.
And I find we, in the world we live in, there's pressure all the time to move away. Um, one of the great uh, expressions today is called conversion therapy, which is just nonsense because I didn't know conversion was a therapy. You don't get counseled or go to a therapist to get saved. It's a supernatural action of the Holy Spirit's power transforming a sinner into a saint. And But what can happen is we can imbibe all this thing. And even in the church, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against pastoring and counseling. I've done it for years. But actually, I prefer you to have a supernatural encounter rather than a counseling session. And one moment in the power of God can transform your life and my life like that. It's just amazing. And that's what church is about. Church is about keeping us on track together. And through the songs we sing, through the messages we preach, through the examples that are here that have uh, lived Christ for years and are still standing. Isn't that awesome? Speaking of which, Pastor James, what a champion, and his lovely wife. You might not realize this, but I preached for Pastor James in Harawa when I had hair. I was a youth pastor. Remember, I used to come and preach for you at Hara. And there was a little kid running around. His name was Alan. What a man of God he's turned into. What a great pastor you have, Pastor Alan and Eleanor Hood. What great people. And what a great church you've got here. I love your church. And um, your cafe is very good. I was going to say your cafe is second to none. But that wouldn't be true because it probably could be second to our church. But that's okay. It's right. No, it's awesome. And to come in here the other day, and I've come here for a few years now to see the standard and to see also unchurched community coming into your cafe and hearing the gospel and having a look at church. It's wonderful. What a wonderful thing you're doing. And um, it's, it's just marvelous. So it's good to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. I'm always surprised when I get invited back. And um, so it's, it's always good to do that, isn't it? To come back and uh, to share and meet new people. I met my friend here. We are talking before. He's had a supernatural conversion. Isn't that great? Amen. And uh, that happened to me 52 years ago when I was very young. And um, it transformed. I can still remember it. I can still remember the night I got saved at the Hastings showgrounds at a Baptist youth camp. You can still remember it. Why can I remember it? Well, because it wasn't intellectual. It was supernatural. And from that moment, God transformed my life. And I've committed my life and my ministry to sharing and bringing people into that same supernatural, powerful experience. Because if we don't, we're selling people short. So, so Christianity isn't a self-improvement program. You don't come here to be a better person. You're in this church to die. To be buried. And to be raised in a new life in Christ. Paul put it so clearly. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, yes, we live in the flesh. But that life in the flesh is the, 
is, is the stage, if you like. It's the setting. And it's within the flesh life that we live a supernatural life in the spirit. The life of Christ. Isn't that amazing? I want to share some thoughts on that this morning. But before we do, I want to pray for some people. I always like to give God room to do things. And uh, that means I do less talking. And hopefully God does less, uh, more doing. And that's what it happens. I want to pray for people that have got pain, different sorts of pain. It's funny, recently, Pastor, I've been getting these little words. They're not very medical, but they, they help people. I want to pray for people that have loose joints and they click. You have knees that click. You have hips. There's probably a couple of people, your, your joint actually goes out of joint and you need treatment. And it's because of an injury or whatever and your tendons are loose. And I'm going to believe God with you that you could have a miracle to tighten that up. Um, it's an amazing thing. I went through a season where I had really bad knees and hips. It came right through here. I had pain. Awake in the middle of the night, literally screaming. I know what it is. I know what it is to go through it. But I called on the name of the Lord. I remember getting a miracle. And, and God healed me. And now today, it's pretty good. Except, you know, the older you get, it, it, it moves a bit slower. But that's okay. Pray for those people, okay? I want to pray for people too that have a throbbing pain. You get a reoccurring pain. Some of you, it actually only happens at night. Once you get up and get moving, you're all okay when the adrenaline and you're being moved. But when you lay down at bed at night, that pain begins to throb. You can feel it. keeps you awake. I, I believe God can heal you. Isaiah said this, he took our pains. The, that's the, it's the English word. He took our pain. He took our sin. He took our sickness. But he said he took our pain. Pain's a terrible thing. And this morning, God can set you free. I think last year when I was here, I prayed for a number of people. And I want to pray again for another thing. I pray for this everywhere I go because it just doesn't lift off me. And I'm surprised continually how many people need prayer for this. I want to pray for people that have chemical imbalance in their body. So you might have low thyroid, high thyroid. You might have low iron, high iron, all sorts of things. And I want to pray for you. You might have other conditions. We'll pray for you as well. We'll make this opportunity for the miracle power of God to come into your life. If you have though, any of those conditions, why don't you raise your hands right now? Am I in the right place? Wow, look at all those people. Let's turn this into a prayer meeting right now, church. Will you stand with me? We're going to stand in faith. We're going to believe together for these great people. Why don't you come down to the altar and bring your pain, bring your sickness, because you're going to leave it here. That's why we have an altar call. That's why we call this the altar. We don't have necessarily a place per se up here, but we have an altar that's accessible to everybody. And you know what altars are for? Altars are where you bring things and they stay there. Now in the Old Testament, that was easy because if you had a sin in your life, let's just say you um, swore at the cat, so you'd bring a pigeon, say, I'm simplifying it. And you would bring the pigeon, and that pigeon would represent that indiscretion during the week. And you would bring it, and you would lay it on the altar, and the priest would kill it. And with the death of that pigeon, your sin 
was vanquished and you would leave without the pigeon and without your sin. You understand? So when, when Paul says, I will glory in nothing but the cross, the cross is actually our altar, the cross of Christ. And we don't have a physical cross here because the cross on which Jesus died doesn't exist today. It was wood, and after 2,000 years, it'll be dis- disintegrated, right? Um, Although I have been in churches where they said they've got a piece of the cross. That's amazing. I've been in other church. They reckon they had some of the blood of Jesus. But I'm not concerned about where the blood is. I'm I'm more concerned about my faith in the blood. And this is what this is about, okay? So you're coming today with a condition, a pain, a sickness, something in your body. You don't bring a pigeon because Jesus is our sacrifice. So, so this morning, bring your sickness to him. Some of you have done this before, and, and you're saying, well, it hasn't worked. Well, you see, that's a mistake because this is not like a magic trick that you do and you say abracadabra, but we're Christians, so you use the name of Jesus, and then you go, did it work? Well, it doesn't work like that. It works through faith. Whether he does it instantly, whether he does it progressively, or whether he waits to do it later, that's not up to you, not up to me, it's only up to him. But faith reaches in, convinced and committed to the healing power of Jesus, no matter how he does it or when he does it. But have a guess what I've discovered happens when we move in faith. Anxiety goes. Sickness and pain has associated or connected with it, depending on what it is, high levels of anxiety. And that is not an atmosphere in which faith operates. Faith believes in the word of God. Faith believes in the cross of Christ, the accomplishments and the provisions of the cross. We take it now as an accepted fact and we believe in faith no matter how that will happen or when it will happen. Is this helping anybody? So I'm going to pray, and what we're going to believe for together is that you're going to get healed in your faith first, and then you're going to be healed in your body, however that happens, by the will of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you put a hand on your heart and reach out a hand to the Lord and pray this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus... Thank you for carrying my sins on the cross and taking them away. And just as you did that this morning, right now, I give you my pain. I give you my sickness that you carried for me on the cross. And I believe you're taking it away. Now, because your word declares by your stripes, I was healed, I declare right now, in the name of Jesus, I am healed by faith, amen, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him thanks, amen. Now, when you go and sit down, don't check your body out. Did that work? See, see you're going to the physical. Don't worry about the physical Maintain your faith in your heart and leave the healing to the Lord.
Some of you are so uptight trying to get healed, you're making yourself sick. That's what happens. We get so uptight because we... And I want you to be well. Your spouse does. Your family, your friends do. But that's not how you get healed. By faith. In the cross. In the accomplishments and the provisions of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe it? Come on, you can be seated. The Lord bless you. When you get healed, tell somebody. Tell somebody about it. You know, there's a big elephant in the room. Massive. Massive elephant in the room. Everyone knows it exists. But we try to avoid it. We try to pretend it's not there. Or we try to reduce its impact by redefining it. For example, when I was a boy growing up, even in the unchurched community, I was brought up among pagans, not a Christian. Um, So I I was brought up in an unchurched environment. But I knew Jesus existed because his name was mentioned a lot of times. And I knew God was almighty because my grandfather used to say it all the time. If someone had sex before marriage, that was called fornication. Now it's called sleeping with each other. And now we have a really groovy term. It's called partner. So Joe is not my partner. She's my wife. She's my spouse, not my partner. And as a husband and wife, we've partnered together in many things. You understand? But, but you see, what that does, it reduces a sin, the big elephant into the room, to something that's kind of okay. But you see, we've got to understand that sin separates us from God. See, people say, well, why? Well, because God's holy And sin is evil. So the moment we side with sin, either willingly or through lifestyle, um, traditionally, we sin in two ways. We sin by omission and we sin by commission. What does that mean? Well, we can sin by omission. In other words, we don't realize we're sinning. Everybody's doing it. It's part of our society. It's like it's just omitted in the sense that we don't really understand it. Sins of commission, on the other hand, is things we do on purpose. We know we're doing wrong, but we willfully do it. And that's basically the two ways that we sin. The Bible says that sin is actually three things. Number one, sin is transgression of the law of God. In other words, lawlessness. So to sin means we're living a lawless life. We're outside of the law of God. The second thing that the Bible describes sin as is rebellion. This is especially in the religious world where people know the Bible, quote the Bible, hear the Bible being preached and even sing the Bible but don't do what the Bible says. So they are sins of rebellion. 
Then John, in his epistle, he said that all sin is unrighteousness. God is righteous, so when we commit sin, it's unrighteous. So what happens when we sin? Well, before we were Christians, all of us had committed sins. With that comes results. And I like the term, it's not original to me, but I like this idea. Sin brings a fracture in our psyche, in our soul, in our being. So we're kind of these fractured people. Uh, We're living a life of almost like uh, a spiritual schizophrenia. We're searching for truth. We sometimes have moments where we think, gee, this didn't just happen with evolution or a big bang. I mean, look at it. It's wonderful or whatever. And we have those moments. But then we have other moments where we doubt that. We live as though that doesn't exist. So we have this, what is called by many theologians, a fracture. And what that does, it mars our image. Because you were created, I were created, we were created in the image of God. And the image of God isn't just supernatural. It's body, soul, spirit. So what, what, what we're saying here and what the Bible teaches is that when we practice sin, we are fracturing the image of God physically, mentally, or if you like, in our soul and spiritually. Here's the other thing the Bible teaches, is when we commit sin with other sinners, what's on them gets in us. So it's not just physical, but it also has a spiritual implication, has a mental or soulish implication. So then, what's the remedy? Well, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. We've got to go back to the beginning, and right in the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell or sinned, in other words, they rebelled against God. So there's one tree, right? There was actually two. He didn't mention the tree of life. He, he, there were actually two trees, but there was one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, look, all these trees, now let me ask you a question, how many trees are there in the world? They are discovering new trees. Like I just read in the news yesterday, they discovered a new shark. Marvellous. As if we needed it. But they've discovered in the deepest ocean, somewhere out in the Pacific, I think it is, they've discovered just recently a new shark, a species they didn't know exist. Isn't that amazing? So contrary to modern belief that everything's disappearing, they're now discovering things are actually appearing. It's amazing, isn't it? So, But how many trees are there? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, how many species are there? You know, but let's just say there's a zillion trees. Have you, have you ever been to Canada? Anyone been to Canada and stood on the mountains? I love Canada. You stand on a mountain in, in the Rockies, and as far as your eye can see, north, east, south, and if you're lucky to be right on top of the mountain, east, trees. America. My wife and I have visited 13 national forests in America. Most Americans have gone to one. Maybe you, you, you said to me. But we've been to 13. 
I've stood among the great trees of the redwood forest. And you get up on a, on a lookout or a mountain or somewhere and look. As far as the eye can see, trees. So God says, you can eat anything you want. Here, all these trees. But see that tree, don't touch it. Have you thought that through? They want that tree. So there's all these trees. But in their head, with the help of the devil, they want that tree. And of course, people don't realize then and even now, but when you look back, that tree was a tithe. So of all the trees, God put one aside. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was like a tithe that was holy to the Lord. Don't touch it. You see, in the human heart, they want to touch it. So they rebelled against God. And what happens? God has to shed the blood or sacrifice two animals. It was probably sheep. We're not sure, it doesn't say. And God made coats. And he brought them and he gave them to the man and the woman that they would be clothed. Because prior to that, they were clothed with the glory of God. So when, you, when, when they were clothed with the glory of God, they were unaware of their nakedness. There was no sin. This is the opposite to modern theology or philosophy. Because most people think... We, we came from monkeys and then we kind of grew a brain and then we became a Neanderthal, I'm simplifying it, and then we became the superhuman that understands everything. No, Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of God's creation with no sin, fellowshipping with God every day. They, they were like the pinnacle. That's why the Bible calls it a fall, whereas evolution and modern theology calls it a rise. It's the, the thinking of the world is opposite to the word of God. Is, is anyone helping anyone here? I'm, I'm, uh. So he brings the coat, but you've got to understand there's sin entered. Immediately sin enters. There's a life for the sin. Blood is shed and that covers it. And then they're covered. So then we come around history. Now we've got thousands of years of sin. And now we come to the vortex, we come to the pinnacle, we come to the fullness of time, the Bible says, when God the Word becomes Jesus the man, the incarnation, and everything before, every sin, every offering that covered, every tradition, everything comes into one Pivotal point, the cross of Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't it? And of course, Paul says to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Because he came as a, a carpenter. They wanted Moses. They did not want a shepherd savior. They did not want a humble servant savior they wanted a deliverer like Moses and so they said let's get rid of him because he was a stumbling block their thinking religious thinking stumbled at the cross but he says the Greeks they look at the cross and say it's foolishness why because God took the weak when Jesus died on the cross it was his weakest point he submitted himself as a lamb that was without 
speech without resistance, and he allowed human beings to kill him. So to the Greeks, man, no, 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 a savior's, the people should be dying for the savior. In the Greek world, gods never died for anyone. They just killed people for them. It's the people who died for the Greek God. So, so when Jesus comes and I'll die for you, it's like, well, he's not a God. That's just foolishness. So to religious people, the cross is a stumbling block. To worldly wisdom, it's foolishness. But to God, he chose the foolish to put to nothing the wisdom of this world. And the cross has become the pinnacle of all history. So if you go into a Muslim country and you ask them what the date is, they will say it is the 31st of July, 2023. Of what? AD. Well, what's that? Since Christ. Go to a Buddhist world. You say, what, what's the date? And they will tell you the date. Everything's dated from Christ. Everything. Even if you go into a Jewish world today, you go into Israel, ask them the date. Of the Messiah they rejected, they now tell you the date is the date from his, his cross. It's, there's no escaping it. Why? Because the cross is the pinnacle. It, it's the vortex through which everything goes. Every sin, every offering, every human being. So we need to take note on Jesus' accomplishments on the cross. It says that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, and by his stripes we were healed. I've got a few friends in America, in the South. A couple of black brothers, good friends of mine. And they say like this, Pastor, if the Bible says I were healed, then I is healed. It's interesting how the Bible says that. It doesn't say you will be. On the cross, I was forgiven. I was healed. So faith takes that now, and I am forgiven, and I am healed. Irrespective of what I feel. So what's that word? He bore our sin. It comes from the Leviticus or the Levitical practice once a year of getting a goat. And the high priest would lay his hand on the head of the goat, and he would confess all their sins, fornication, adultery, lying, stealing, violence, whatever. He would confess them like that, like a list. Then in the wings, there was a young athlete, someone who could run. They put a rope around the goat, and the young man would run out into the desert as far as he could, way out, sort of like a marathon. And then he'd let it go, and the goat would go. That's what it means to bore, to bear. Our sins are taken away. And so Jesus is our scapegoat. He's our lamb. Your sin was placed on him, and it is taken away. That's why Paul says in the book of Colossians, now you are complete in Christ. Completely forgiven, 
completely restored, completely justified, completely whole. Wow. People say, well, how come I don't feel it? Well, right then, you've just confessed your unbelief. And what you confess, pastor, that was so right. What our voice declares is what will happen in our world. You, you, you can't confess defeat and expect to be victorious. You, 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 we cannot confess that we're away from God and trying to get closer to God. It's, it's like, that's insanity. See, a spiritual person can't claim what they already possess. I'm not trying to get more of Jesus because I have Jesus living in me by faith. I'm not trying to get more grace. I'm growing in the grace that I already have. I'm not trying to get saved. I'm living in the salvation that's already been provided on the cross. Will I understand it more? Yes, because this pea brain doesn't get everything day one. But I can confess what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit reveals and it becomes my experience. Complete provision for everything we need has been made at the cross. In Peter, he says this, for his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life meaning our physical life and godliness meaning our spiritual life. He's provided all things. But have you noticed this? All those provisions come in the form of promises. Why? Well, because the just shall live by faith. It's through the promises that we experience the divine nature, the Bible says. It's by faith. So right now around the world, everyone's talking about revivals. And everyone's excited. I'm excited about it too, actually. But we've got to get our thinking right. Now, now you see, if I was on the stage here with Pastor Alan and we're having a chat, and I had a heart attack and fell dead, and someone rang the ambulance and they came, and they grabbed Pastor Alan and put him on the thing and put some things on him and began to... <laughs> Alan would be going, no, no, I don't need reviving. He does. You'd say that's absurd to try to revive an alive person. Revival is for a person who's dead. Revival is no big deal from God's viewpoint because all a revival is doing is bringing people back to where they should be in the first place, alive in Christ. But if Christians would just live in the Bible and in the Holy Spirit, we'd be alive in Christ. But we allow the thinking of the world, we allow sin, we allow things to come in and it bleeds, if you like, or leaks the power of God in our experience. We are called to live by faith. So, wait a minute. Are you saying that it's possible not to sin? Totally. Totally. Look what John says. He says, 
whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So so what is he talking about? He's talking about a sin-free life as in a victorious life, not a sinless life as in a perfect life. Very important to understand this. You say, what do you mean? Well, cults of all ilk, they preach sinless. This is why Jesus got so steamed up, so to speak, about the Pharisees. Because they were preaching, they were perfect. Remember the guy bringing the offering? He said, oh God, I thank I'm not, you, I'm not like other men. You know? And then a widow came in or another person came in and smote his breast and said, oh God, receive me a sinner. So, so you see, to live the Christian life in the provision of the cross means that we're not perfect, just powerful. Let me, let me finish with this idea. If I was selling a boat, and it was like a fishing boat, and you thought, man, it's got a trailer, it's got all the gadgets on it, I'm going to buy his boat. So, you know, Pastor Alan's going to buy the boat off me. He says, oh, Gordon, um, why are you selling it? I say, well, it's actually designed to sink. Would I buy a boat that was designed to sink? No, boats are designed to float. <laughs> then, okay, if a boat is designed to float, how come you have to have life jackets on it? Have you ever thought about that? See, life jackets are on a boat for not when it sinks, but if it sinks. In other words, life jackets or lifeboats are on every vessel in case extraordinary and unusual circumstances occur where the boat begins to sink, provision has already been made for the lives on board to be saved. This is why John says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. He didn't say when you sin. He said, if you sin. So we're not perfect, We're not sinless, but we're powerful. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. We're living in the power of God. But we've got a life jacket. It's called Jesus, our advocate. He saves us from our sin, but today he lives as our advocate if we sin. You were not born again to fail. And what this produces is we become more righteousness-focused than sin-conscious. I've met Christians that are sin-conscious. So you form ghettos, spiritual ghettos, um, little communities, and you play soccer together and everything together to keep everyone from sinning. That's how religion works. Christianity works through the power of God. You can experience that right now.
You are not designed as a born-again Christian to fail. You are designed to overcome. You are designed to live a sin-free, victorious life. But we're not perfect. So what if something does go wrong? We have an advocate with the Father. Get right with God. You're not perfect, just powerful. There are some people today, you've never actually experienced this. You might believe in God intellectually. You might even be in church with your family and say, yeah, I believe in God. But you haven't experienced this. Or maybe you have and you have sinned or you have allowed attitude. And what it does, it fractures our spiritual life. You can come back to him today. See, if the, if the presence of sin brings fracture and spiritual disease, what does forgiveness of the blood bring? Healing and wholeness and righteousness. That's where God wants you to live. And we fear sin no more. Why? Because if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We can always go again and get it right and move on. You're designed to float, Christian. You're not designed to sink. Why don't you bow your heads in the presence of God and going to hand the meeting over? But you know, maybe you need to come to Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you need to come back. Maybe you've taken on some water and your boat's not floating the way it should. Jesus is your advocate. He died for you. Not just for the sins you had committed, but for the sins you might commit. And we can walk in victory over sin, Paul said in Romans 6, with a whole heart, with a healed spirit, not fractured, not unholy, but holy. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand, right? You are, and I'll include you in a prayer. You say, Gordon, I want to come to Jesus for the first time. I need to come back. Thank you, young man. Is there anyone else? Just slip your hand up. Thank you, right down the back. Anyone else? You're coming back to God. Don't struggle any longer in your sin and in your shortcomings. Thank you, young man. Thank you, lady. Is there anyone else? Just put your hand up and say yes. That's me today. I'm coming for the first time. I'm coming back. I'm looking over to my right for the last time. Is there anybody else? This is your moment to get right with God. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else through the center of the church? Over to my left. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, young lady up the back. Fantastic. Let's all stand together very quickly. Let's all stand together. If you raise your hand, I want you to put legs on your faith. Why do we ask people to make a decision? Because just as you made a decision to sin, you're now making a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to invite you. Get out of your seat. Down the back here, over here, through here, over there. Boldly not mattering what people think or see. You're concerned about what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit reveals. And this morning, He's revealed to you that you need to get right with God. Come right now, will you? Come right now. Just slip out of your seat, those here. Here they come. Let's give them a big hand as they come. Way down the back. The young lady over here, come. Yes. 
down here there was someone else come right down the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Face me. Yeah. Yeah, come, come. There's one or two others. Thank you. Come, come right in. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to hand back to Pastor and he's going to just say a few words, but congratulations. Now remember, you walk now by faith in the provision of Jesus Christ. You're born again not to fail, not to sink, but to live for Him. A sinless, powerful, overcoming, victorious life. But I'm human. What if I fail? You can always get up again because you have an advocate with the Father. Isn't that amazing? Come on, church, let's praise Him. Why don't we have a couple of people come and stand with these guys? Maybe you were a bit nervous to come out. We're going to just pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into our lives. Fantastic. Father, just repeat this after me. Dear God, I thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me for all the wrong things I've done. Please come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.